scripture comes from Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take this cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see all of you. Um, Thank you for those of you who contacted us last weekend when we were in bio-lockdown last weekend where my wife and I and our three kids were completely sick. It was a 72-hour bug that just hit us at the same time, and we were just not prepared uh, for it. But thankfully, Pastor James was able to fill in for me last weekend, and now I'm back. I'm feeling close to 100%. Not yet there, but very close to it, so I'm good to be here. I especially want to welcome those of you who may be visiting us for the first time. If you're here as our guest, thank you for joining us. Um, And I'm looking forward to being able to share a little bit of what we're doing uh, in this sermon series because we're in the middle of a sermon series right now entitled Mets. Uh, If you're here as a Yankee fan, please don't take offense to that title because the word Mets and this series is not about baseball, okay? It's about, actually, uh, this idea known as Members Equipped to Serve. The word METS is actually an acrostic. It stands for Members Equipped to Serve. Now, what is Members Equipped to Serve? Well, that's a good question. Hold on to it as I open us up in prayer. Would you join with me now? Father, thank you so much for your mercy and grace. Thank you that you are so faithful even when we find ourselves to be unfaithful to you. Thank you that you give us grace when we do not extend grace to those around us. Thank you that you are merciful when we are not merciful. Thank you that you love us even when we can be so hateful towards you and to those around us. We ask now that as we sit at your feet hearing this word, that you would shape and and mold us in such a way that we would become more like your son, Jesus. For we know that you take great delight in him. And we pray that through the power of your spirit that uses the word of God, we ask that we would be conformed more like to him, that we would be Christ-like, that we would be Uh, men and women who live and act and and, and think like Jesus, our great Savior, our great Lord. For we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen. Amen. So we're in the middle of a sermon series called Mets, which again I said means members equipped to serve. And the purpose of this series is to look at the crucial ministries that God calls every Christian to serve as ministers of God. You see, there is a misconception that is out there in the church today. And it's a misconception that says that it's only people like myself and Pastor James, you know, the professional pastors, the professional ministers whom God calls to serve as his servants, as his ministers. But one of the things that we've been trying to say over and over again is that according to the Bible, that is absolutely wrong. The Bible tells us that if you are a follower of Jesus, not if you are a pastor, but if you are a Christian, if you consider yourself a genuine follower of Jesus, that is you believe who Jesus says he was and you seek to live your life like the way Jesus calls us to live, that means you are by definition not simply a Christian, but you're also a minister. 
God calls every follower of Jesus to be a minister. And we've said that there are five ministries that God calls every Christian to serve as a minister. First, there is your ministry to God, your personal ministry. Then there is your ministry to your church family, which is the local church that you're a part of, the local church that you are a member of. Then there is the ministry to your biological family, right, where the people in your household, where you grow up in together, you are called by God to serve as a servant in that household. Then we talked about, uh, we have yet to talk about, but one of the things that we will talk about is that God calls us to also be a minister to the world through our vocation, through our occupation, through the things that we do for a living. And then finally... The thing that we're going to end with this series on is this idea that God calls us to be a minister in the world by serving the poor, by remembering the forgotten, by advocating for the oppressed, okay? So these are the five ministries that God calls us to serve as ministers. And for the past few weeks, we've been kind of lingering on this third category of ministry known as the ministry to our family. Four weeks ago, we talked about the ministry of our family in the context of marriage, Then, two weeks after that, we talked about the ministry to our family in the context of parenting. Well, before we move on to the fourth category, which is our ministry to the world through our vocation, I want to make sure that we talk about one specific issue pertaining to family relationships that are so crucial for us to get if we want to be faithful ministers of God in our families. And what issue am I talking about? It is the issue of personal boundaries. I want to talk to you guys today about the importance of maintaining personal boundaries with members of your own family, okay? If you are a Christian and you have made the commitment because you have felt the conviction that God has called you as a follower of Jesus to be a minister to your family, one of the things that you will discover as you try to be a minister to your family is that you will face difficulty in doing it. Okay, it is not easy to be a minister of God to your family because there are certain difficulties, there are certain trials, there are certain sufferings that you have to endure as you serve as a minister to your family. And one particular hardship, one particular difficulty that you will face as you try to be a minister to your family is the violation of personal boundaries. One of the things that you discover as you grow up in your family is that your family members have a knack of violating your space, right? Violating your boundaries, of overstepping, right? Their authority over you or overstepping their right to speak into your life in such a way that is unhealthy. In fact, this is something that is so important that I actually talked about this idea a couple years ago, okay? But what it dawned on me after meeting with many of you guys, talking with you guys, counseling you guys in terms of struggles that you've had with your various family members is that it dawned on me that one sermon that talks about personal boundaries is insufficient for us in living out the call that God has called us to live out, which is to be a blessing to the world, including our own families. And so I want to revisit this topic again. I want to re-preach this idea of what it means of maintaining personal boundaries and why it's so important for us to be faithful ministers of God. So with that in mind, three things I want to share with you this afternoon as it relates to boundaries. First, I want to talk about what boundaries are, okay? Then I want to talk about how boundaries are violated, And finally, I want to end it with how boundaries are restored. So first, I want to talk about what they are, how they get violated, and how to restore them. Okay? Let's jump right in. First, what boundaries are. Let's read again verse 34 of our passage where Jesus says these words to his disciples. He says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Here, Jesus is addressing his disciples, and he's telling them specifically what his mission on earth is. That is what verse 34 is telling us. He's telling us what his mission on earth is. Now, when you read 
what he says his mission on earth is, you're a little bit thrown off because it sounds nothing like what you were taught in Sunday school in terms of what Jesus' mission on earth was, right? Because if you ask the average Christian, hey, average Christian, you know, what does an average Christian look like? But hey, average Christian, what do you think Jesus' mission was? The typical response might go something like this. Oh, Jesus' mission, his mission was to teach us to be, you know, better people, to be more calm, to be more gentle, to be more kind, you know, love the other person with the golden rule, you know, turn the other cheek if they slap you one face, go the extra mile, forgiving your enemies, loving your enemies, and so forth. You know, something very placid, something very benign, something very safe and and, and passive. Because we're taught that, that the kind of Jesus that walked on this earth is kind of like this, this weak hippie Jesus who kind of walked around, spoke in a kind of effeminate voice, was very calm, very laid back, you know, very passive, was not very, uh, you know, type A or, or any sort of alpha male kind of thing. We think, oh, he was, he was kind of like Ned Flanders, right? I mean, after all, isn't he the prince of peace? If that is your imagery of Jesus, you are going to be corrected because look at what he says again in his last statement in verse 34. What does he say? I have not come to bring peace. I have come to bring a sword. A sword? A sword? Jesus, what is this deal of identifying your mission with such a violent instrument, a sword? What is up with that? Well, it might be helpful to know that the idea of a sword in the Greek New Testament is also similar to the idea of war. The word that is used for sword in the Greek Testament that's translated as sword in our passage could also be the same word used for war. For what, so what Jesus is really saying here is that I have not come to bring peace. I have come to declare a war. That is my mission. Now you hear that and you're like, whoa, what is up with that Jesus? What is with all this violent imagery? What is going on? This is not the Jesus that I remember growing up in Sunday school. What, what's the deal, Pastor John? Well, let me explain. If you ever study the different wars that are fought in the Bible that's recorded for us in the Bible, one of the things that you realize is that almost all of them were fought because one nation violated the boundary of another nation in its attempt to conquer that nation, in its attempt to take the land of that nation, in attempt to rule over that nation. In other words, when a nation tried to claim land that belonged to another nation, it would cause war because boundaries were violated, boundaries were crossed. You see, in the Bible, boundaries were the geographical locations that identified where one group ended and another group began. And the Bible says explicitly there's only one person who determines where the boundary markers are between various groups of people on the earth, and that is God and God alone. For example, in Deuteronomy, which is a book in the Old Testament, when God was preparing his people to take the promised land. He specifically says, I'm going to be the one who determines which part of the land will go to which particular tribe. Why? Leviticus 25 tells us the land is mine. That is what God says. This land belongs to me. Okay. And as a result, Moses, his servant, gave this dire warning to his people right before they entered into the promised land. He says this in Deuteronomy 19. When you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession, you must never steal anyone's land by moving the boundary markers your ancestors set up to mark their property. In other words, Moses is saying, look, when you get this land and God gives you your portion of the land and God gives that other tribe their portion of the land, Do not even think about trying to move the boundary, (coughs) violate the boundary (coughs) to where you try to take more of your fair share of the land, right? Why? Because the land is mine, says the Lord. 
What is the implication of this? The implication of it is that if a tribe tried to take more land than what God allowed, right, you're not simply stealing from this other tribe. You're not simply stealing from this other nation. You're actually stealing from God himself. You're taking something that belongs to God and you're claiming it as your own. That's why Moses says, don't do that. God will come with a sword and he will judge you because you are robbing him. Now, you might be thinking with all this wonderful Bible trivia knowledge, what does this have anything to do with what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 10? Well, believe it or not, Jesus is using this concept of land boundaries and he's applying it to relationships. He's applying it to relationships. You see, the Bible tells us that not only is all the land God's land, but all the people who live on the land belong to God as well. Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people, what? Belong to him. God owns everything. He owns every nook and cranny on this earth, in this universe, in the entire created realm. And not only does he own all these things, but he owns everything and everyone who lives on it. In other words, He owns it all. This means not only does he create boundaries between people in regards to the land he gives them, but he also creates boundaries between people in terms of the life that he gives them. Your life belongs to God and only to God, which means your life does not belong to your mom. Your life does not belong to your dad. Your life does not belong to your mother-in-law. Your own life doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to God. God has given you your life as a stewardship to where he wants you to live your life that he's given you, a life that belongs to him in such a way that pleases him and him only. But here's the problem. And Jesus hints to this problem with this symbolic reference to the sword, which again is also a reference to war. And that is the problem of violating personal boundaries. There are people out there like the land robbers of the Old Testament who try to rob people's lives because they think they own that person like as if they are a piece of property or something. And what I mean by that is they try to control, they try to dominate, they try to conquer another person as if this person is their personal property. This is why Jesus says, I have come to bring the sword because what he is saying is my mission is to take back what belongs to me, to reclaim what is mine, to take back what other people have illegitimately tried to claim as their own. And he's not talking about land. He's talking about people. He's talking about people in your life and in my life who try to claim us as their own rather than recognizing that we ultimately belong to God. And now God is ready to throw down. He's ready to come back and say, no, you do not belong to your mother. You don't belong to your father. You ultimately belong to me. And their attempt to have you all for themselves, you, there's now war. There's now conflict. That is what Jesus has come to do. He has come to make us, once again, his own because of the violation of personal boundaries. Now, here's the thing with the violation of boundaries. It's not always obvious when our boundaries are being violated. Sometimes it's very obvious. At other times, it's not obvious at all. And so the question is, how can we tell whether or not our boundaries are being violated by someone who has no right to violate them? That's a great question, and that leads me to my next point, how boundaries are violated. Let's read again verse 35 and 36 where Jesus continues by saying this, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, 
and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, before I go on, let me go on a little bit of a tangent here just so that you don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. In these verses, Jesus is not encouraging us, nor is he giving us the right to disobey the fifth commandment. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment is one of the ten that specifically says what? Honor your father and mother, right? That's one of the Ten Commandments. That's commandment number five, right? A lot of people read this verse, these verses that I just read to you, and they assume, oh, Jesus is giving us permission to not have to obey the fifth commandment anymore as if we don't have to honor our parents, as if we don't have to obey our parents, as if we don't need to respect our parents. No, far from it. Here's why. In the Gospel of John, there's an interesting incident that happens that's recorded for us in the crucifixion narrative. In John's Gospel, John tells us that Jesus is dying on the cross, right? Jesus is doing the most important work ever in the history of Of all histories, Jesus is suffering as our substitute Savior. He is saving mankind. And in the midst of that important work, what does he do? Do you remember what he does as he's hanging on the cross? He looks down, and who does he see? He sees Mary, his mother. And he knows that he's about to die at any moment and that his mother will be left to herself. And what does he do? He looks over next to Mary, and he sees his servant, the apostle John. And he tells John, look, you now have to take my mother. Mother, this now is your son. Be together. You would think that if there is one person who would have a good excuse to neglect his fifth commandment responsibilities, it would be Jesus, right? I mean, the guy is saving all of mankind. And yet even in that moment, in that once-in-a-lifetime legitimate opportunity for him to neglect the fifth commandment, he doesn't. He obeys it fully. That tells us that Jesus is not against the fifth commandment. Far from it. He is for the fifth commandment, which means he wants us as followers of Jesus to definitely obey and fulfill the fifth commandment. God wants us to honor our parents, yes. But what he doesn't want is for us to fear and worship our parents. Honor your parents, yes. Do not worship your parents, no. Okay? That is what we need to understand. Some of you may realize this. Others of you may not. One of the things or one of the main goals behind the fifth commandment is that God wanted parents to be able to parent their children in such a way to where their child would eventually obey them to where they will ultimately obey God. God created the fifth commandment so that we would parent our children in such a way to where our parents would eventually, where our children, excuse me, would eventually take all of their loyalty, all of their love for us as parents and ultimately transfer it to God permanently as grown adults. I quoted this pastor a couple weeks ago. I want to quote it to you again because I love his quote because it's so perfect. He says this. He's talking to parents. He says this. Your goal as a parent is not to produce independent children. It is to produce children who have transferred their dependence from you to the Lord. When your children transfer their primary love, their primary submission, and primary dependence from you to Jesus Christ, then you've hit the bullseye as a parent. What is Pastor Ingram telling us? He's telling us that our mission as parents, our job description as our parents, is not to have our children forever look at us as, their, as, 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 as people that they always have to depend on, as people that they always have to obey, as people that they always see as their authority. No. Our job as parents is to teach our kids to transfer their loyalty, their dependence on us, ultimately to God and to keep it on God forever and ever, right? 
That is the goal of parenting, which means if you have parents who try to stubbornly hold on to their temporary authority and make it a permanent authority and rule over the kids even when they're in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, that parent is violating the principle behind the fifth commandment. Okay? Tangent over. All right. Let's go back and take a more careful look at what Jesus is saying in verse 35 to 36. Notice Jesus describes three different kinds of relationships here, right? He describes father and son relationship. He describes the mother-daughter relationship. And then finally he talks about the daughter-in-law and mother-in-law relationship. Here's the question. Why does he specify these three different kinds of relationship? The answer, he's trying to show us the three different violations that people do as they violate our personal boundaries. There are three kinds of violation of personal boundaries that Jesus is trying to teach us. Okay, And some of these violations are very obvious, which is symbolized by the relationship between the daughter-in-law and mother-in-law. Other types of violations are not so obvious, but yet we know it's wrong some way, somehow. And that's represented by the relationship between the daughter and the mother. But then there are some violations that are just completely hard to detect. Violations that we don't even realize is wrong, but there's something wrong in our relationship with our family members that we just don't feel right about it. But we can't figure out is that is represented or symbolized by the relationship between the father and the son. Okay, so we're going to go through that to look at what these different violations are. But before we do, let me qualify with everything I'm about to say by saying this. Jesus is using generalized categories here. Okay, the point here is not to focus on the specific types of relationship that he's referring to, but rather the specific types of violations of personal boundaries. Okay, when I go into describing the kind of violations that Jesus is referring to between a father and son, for you, that might fit your relationship with your sibling or with your mom or with your in-law. Furthermore, when Jesus talks about the violations that are involved between an in-law, between a daughter-in-law and mother-in-law, that might more fit your context between your child, if you have a child, or, or if you have a parent rather than your in-law parent. So don't get so focused on the types of relationship that he's talking about. Focus instead the type of violations that he's associating with these specific relationships, okay? So let's jump right in. Let's go through it. First, let's take a look at the violation that Jesus symbolizes between a daughter-in-law and mother-in-law relationship. And this is the most easiest violation to detect because it is the violation of control. What is the violation of control? What does he mean by that? Well, the violation of control is basically this. When you have a member of your family who basically tells you what to do, tells you how to dress, tells you how to think, right, to where you always need their permission to make every big decision of your life, to where you always have to meet certain expectations that aren't obvious, to where you have to obey certain rules that they never tell you you have to obey, you're in a situation where someone is trying to control you. You have a situation where someone is trying to violate your personal boundaries by trying to control you in such a way as if you are their person. And here's the thing, many of these controllers, if I can call them that, they don't think they're doing anything wrong when they violate your personal boundary. Because they'll say something like, you know, of course I have every right to dominate and to control this person. I have a certain status above this person. This person is beneath me. I'm above this person. Whether I'm the mother-in-law or whether I'm the head of the household, I'm the father. Right? I have every right to tell my daughter-in-law, my son, you know, my younger brother or my younger sister how they need to live their life or what they need to do. Right? They always have to go through me. And if they don't, they better watch out because they will face consequences from me. Right? That is the violation of control. It's the control of obsessiveness. It's the control where someone tries to rule over you in such a way to 
cannot do anything without their approval, without their say-so. And one of the ways you can tell that you have been violated this way is simply this. If you have someone in your life, typically someone in your family, to where you always feel like you have to walk on eggshells around them, chances are you have someone who's trying to control you. Chances are your personal boundaries are being violated by a controller. Because now you have someone who's stepping in in such a way to where they feel they have the right to rule over you, tell you what to do, tell you how to think, tell you how to behave, or that every major decision has to be met with their approval. Okay, so that's the first type of violation of boundaries. It's the violation of control. Okay, the second type of boundary violation is what I call the violation of irresponsibility, which is symbolized between the daughter and mother relationship. Now, what is this violation? Simply put, it's the violation of boundaries where you are being violated by a member of the family through that, vi- through that family member being completely irresponsible to where you now feel this incredible duty to make sure that you fix their problems. That's the violation of irresponsibility. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have an adult son who went to college, who went to master's, master, has a master's, went to grad school, Right? And he's more than capable of getting a job, but instead of getting a job, he just sleeps in the basement, right? Wakes up at 1 p.m., eats Cheerios all day, empties his mother's fridge, mom pays all of his bills, right? And does all of his laundry and basically sits on his butt all day doing nothing. That son is violating his mother's boundary. Why? Because he's being completely irresponsible, And furthermore, this mom is almost enabling this son to live in direct disobedience to God. Because we all have personal responsibilities to the Lord, right? And my responsibility can't be transferred to you, and your personal responsibilities can't be transferred to me. But when you don't recognize that and you expect people around you to take responsibility for you that you should be taking for yourself, you are violating another person's boundary. Or look at it from the other perspective. When someone expects you to fix all their problems, to rescue them from every foolish decision they make, and to basically mooch off of you until you die, that person is violating your boundary through irresponsible living. They're trying to make their responsibility to God your responsibility to God, which ironically makes it hard or impossible for you to fulfill your responsibility for God because you're too busy trying to live their life for them. One of the ways that you can tell that you have this kind of violator in your life is you can't seem to say no to them when you should say no to them. Or you're always saying yes to them when you shouldn't be saying yes to them. If there's a person in your life, a family member, for example, who's always not fulfilling their responsibilities to God because they know that you're going to come around and take care of it for them, They're violating your boundaries, and they're dishonoring God. And you cannot allow those people to get away with it because that is a violation of boundary, and they are using you in a manner that is displeasing to God. So that's the second type of violation boundary. It's the violation of irresponsibility. But then there's the final and third kind of violation of boundaries, which I call the violation of non-responsiveness. And this is symbolized between the father and son relationship. And really, this is the most difficult type of violation to detect. 
when people suffer this kind of violation of boundaries, they can't figure out what's going on. They can't seem to grasp what the issue is, why there's something wrong in their relationship with their loved ones because they can't put their finger on it. This is a very slippery kind of violation. And so how do you describe something that's so hard to grasp and describe? Well, simply put, this kind of violation is the exact opposite of the previous violation I just talked about, right? If irresponsible violation is basically where you have to take full responsibility for somebody else, this kind of violation is the exact opposite. The violation of non-responsiveness is where someone who should help you, who should encourage you, who should bless you and empower you and encourage you in a way to live a certain way, doesn't do it, right? It's basically someone takes the boundary between you and them and they point to it as an excuse to not be involved in your life the way God commands them to be involved in your life. Think of it as this example. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say you have like a 16-year-old boy, right, a son, and he's struggling with lust, and he's addicted to Internet pornography, and he's just filled with so much guilt and shame that he decides to go to his father to confess his sins and to ask his father for help. Let's say his father is an elder in the church or maybe even a pastor, right? And he goes up to his dad like, Dad, this is so embarrassing for me to admit, but I'm struggling with lust. I, I can't get over this internet pornography, and I need for you to hold me accountable. Can you pray for me? Can you encourage me? Can you study the Bible with me? Can you do something so that I can grow out of this? To which the father responds, son, that's your problem. My daddy didn't help me this way, and look at me now. I want the same for you. You deal with your issues. Man up. Be a man. Figure it out. Suck it up. And stop whining. What did that father fail to do? That father failed to be the son's father. And he used the excuse of this boundary between him and him. As his justification for not being involved in encouraging and empowering and equipping his son to be a better person. Hear me when I say this. It is true. You cannot live someone else's life for them. Right? You cannot take full responsibility for anyone else. But that doesn't mean you don't take any responsibility for somebody else. Right? Yes, there are boundaries between you and other members of your family. But you don't use that boundary as an excuse to not be involved, to not be invested, to not be willing to equip and empower and encourage your loved one so that they can grow in their walk with God. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament that's recorded for us in Numbers chapter 32. In Numbers chapter 32, uh, two and a half tribes, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, they want to create a boundary between themselves and the rest of the tribes of Israel by settling east of the Jordan River, okay? Unlike settling on the west of the Jordan River where the rest of the other Ten and a half tribes were going to settle. They wanted to settle on the east side to where the Jordan River would be their boundary. And Moses was angry at them. He was angry at them because he felt what they were trying to do was use the river as a natural boundary between them and the rest of the tribe to where they would not have to help the other tribes conquer the land as God commanded them to help the other tribes to conquer. And so Moses was telling them, rebuking them in that chapter by saying, don't you realize that you have an obligation to the rest of the community that you're a part of? You cannot settle in this land and therefore use the Jordan River as an excuse to not do your part in helping all of us grow and helping all of us become more faithful to the Lord. You are discouraging us with what you're trying to do. 
Moses was trying to teach them that you cannot use these boundaries that God creates as an excuse to neglect your duty in serving and keeping your brother as your keeper. You can't. And Jesus applies that same principle into our relationship. Yes, it is true. There are boundaries between you and another member of your family. But don't use that boundary as an excuse to be uninvolved, to be uncaring, and therefore not help or assist and encourage your brother, your sister, your parents in some way that they could use your encouragement for. Yes, God is to be your primary loyalty, but he's not to be your only loyalty. You are to help your family members to grow. You don't help them by living their life for them, but you do help them so that they can live the life that God has called them to live. If you don't, then you are violating the boundaries that God has set between you and that person, your family. So those are the three kinds of boundaries that we see Jesus identifying for us in these relationships. There's a boundary violation of control. There's a violation of boundary through non-responsiveness, which we just talked about. And then there's the violation of boundary as it pertains to um, the mother and daughter. I can't remember what it was. Okay, the three. What was the second one? That one. I didn't hear what they said, but that's what it is. Okay. So with that in mind, the question is, what can we do now that we are aware that these kinds of violations are happening in our families all the time? How do we overcome these violation of boundaries so that we can be faithful ministers of God and not let these things sabotage our ministry to our families? The answer leads me to my final point, how boundaries are restored. Let's read again verse 37 to 39. Jesus says this, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here in these verses, Jesus tells us how our boundaries can be restored with those in our own household. And it all centers on this idea of who you find your life in. Who do you look to for life? Listen again to what he says in verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What in the world is Jesus talking about? That's so cryptic. Well, he actually tells us in a couple verses earlier. Verse 37, he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Here, Jesus tells us the reason why we let people in our family violate our boundaries. And you know what that reason is? It's simple. The reason why we let people in our household violate our personal boundaries is because we love those members more than we love God. The reason why we let our mothers, our fathers, our in-laws, our siblings to rule over us or to relate to us in a manner that is inappropriate is because we love them more than we love God. That's simply it. Now, some of you who are married, there's not many of you, but some of you are. Right? Some of you are daughter-in-laws or son-in-laws. You're probably thinking to yourself, Pastor John, I have a mother-in-law and she controls me or tries to. And it's not because I love her, you know. What do you have to say about that? That may be true. Yes, you have a mother-in-law who's very controlling and you allow her to control you in some way. Not because you love her, yes, but you do love what she could give you, right? I've been in many situations where a daughter-in-law will tolerate 
the controlling, dominating, dominating spirit of a mother-in-law, not because they love their mother-in-law, but their mother-in-law can give them something that maybe they couldn't get on their own, whether it's money, whether it's esteem, whether it's a condo or a nice house. Yes, you may not love the people who violate your boundaries, but you love what those violators can give you. That's why we put up with it. That's why we tolerate it. That's why a daughter-in-law allows her mother-in-law to control her or why a daughter allows her mother to be irresponsible. Irresponsible, that was the other one. Okay, why a son will allow his father to be non-responsive. It's because we love the people too much or we love what they give us too much to where we're willing to give up our primary duty to God, our primary loyalty to God, and therefore allow people to violate the boundaries that he established between us and them. And the only way that we can overcome this is simple. You have to love Jesus more than you love these people. You have to love Jesus more than you love your mother. You have to love Jesus more than you love your son. You have to love Jesus more than you love your mother-in-law. You have to love Jesus more than what your mother-in-law can give you. You have to love Jesus more than anything to where you're willing to sacrifice even the very people who threaten to cut you out of their lives or who threaten to relinquish what they have been giving you that has given you such a blessed life. Jesus has to be the most important thing in your life to where you're willing to forsake everything and everyone in order to have him. That is what Jesus is saying. Now, some of you are hearing this. You're like, wow, Pat, pretty intense. That's really radical. I mean, is that really called for? How can Jesus speak with such, such crazy, almost hyperbolic language like this? Well, you have to consider who this Jesus is who says this. You know, when Jesus says, give up everything in order to have me, understand who this Jesus is who's saying this to you. He's the same Jesus who gave up everything for your sake. When Jesus says, give up everything for my sake, it is the same Jesus who gave up much more than what you could ever give up for him, all for your sake. That is what the gospel teaches us. Let me ask you this question. Think about some of the people who violate your boundaries all the time. You probably love these people, and they most likely love you too. But as much as you love them, and as much as you love what they give you, are any of them willing to give up their own life for you? Are any of them willing to put you ahead of themselves and put their desires behind your desires and still be in relationship with you? I mean, the fact that they're violating your boundaries should tell you, no, they're not. You see, boundary violators expect you to give up everything for their sake. But the gospel tells us that Jesus gave up everything for our sake. He gave up his happiness. He gave up his titles. He gave up his rights. He gave up his comforts. He gave up his desire so that ultimately you would know the kind of person he is when he says, love me more than you love these people. Here's what's even crazier. Jesus, unlike our family members, they never violate, he never violates our personal boundaries. Have you thought about that? Jesus doesn't control you with a domineering spirit, does he? Even though as God, he has every right to do so. Jesus doesn't make you take responsibility for his life by living an irresponsible life. In fact, quite the opposite. He takes responsibility for all of your irresponsibility as your savior. 
And finally, he is not a non-responsive person. He doesn't let his creator-creature distinction, this boundary between him being God and us being creatures, as a means to which he doesn't have to get involved in our life. He doesn't have to say, oh, you're a sinner, you're condemned to hell. Not my problem, I'm God, I'm going to be in paradise forever. He takes it upon himself, even though there are boundaries, to even pass through this boundary so that he could save us and bless us and enable us to be his own. When you realize this is the Jesus who calls you to live like this, let me ask you, is he not worth being loved more than anyone else? And here's the thing. If you love Jesus more than anyone else, are you really harming those other people that you love less than Jesus? You know, my mom and I used to have a very, very close relationship when I was a little kid. And we would play this little game, like, oh, ma, I love you more than chocolate milk. And she would be like, oh, John, I love you more than my hanguk dramas, right? And we would just really try to go at each other, right? Oh, ma, I love you more than Chef Boyardee. And she'd be like, John, you know, I love you more than, you know, your brother. No, she wouldn't say that. But basically she would go like that. At one point I said, Mom, I love you more than Jesus. And she stopped smiling. And she said, John, don't ever say that. And I was like, what? That was like my trump card, mom. You should be like, oh, you know, I just. And she said, John, that's not right. You never love mommy more than Jesus. I said, why? You know, because if you love mommy more than Jesus, then you can't really love me right. It took many years for me to understand what she meant. Who gives you the ability to love those around you? Is it you? Is it them? Or is it the one whom God's, who the Bible says God is love? You putting God first, loving him first, is not a betrayal to those whom God calls you to love. It's actually a fulfillment to how you're able to love. Sarah always tells me, you better not love me, you better not love our kids more than you love me, right? And I'm like, okay, I get it, yeah, the best way to love your children is to love their mother. Yes, I get it, but that's true. But the best way to love others, most supremely, is by loving God first. And that is what Jesus is saying. If you want to be a faithful minister of God in your family, make sure you have your priorities of love correct. Love God first. And when you love God first, he will give you all the proper amount of love that you need to love your mothers, your father, your in-laws, your children. Yes, it's possible to love your (laughs) in-laws. Love him first. Then you'll be equipped to be an adequate minister of God. Let me ask you, for those of you who suffer this problem of your family members violating your boundaries, do you find it easy to love them? Probably not. But you can love them effectively when you don't get so affected when they violate your boundary because you have a love greater than their approval, than all the things they can give you, to where now you can be so selfless in loving them, taking a stand for God. The Bible says that we are to seek first God's kingdom, not your mom's kingdom, not your dad's kingdom, not your sibling's kingdom, but God's kingdom. Some of you... Love Jesus, I know it. But the problem is, 
You just don't love him more than your family. And this is something that you need to be challenged with. If you don't love Jesus more than you love your family members, you don't love your family members. It's not loyalty. And you're not going to be an adequate minister of God. If you want to love your siblings, your parents, your children, your spouse well, make sure you love their God first. Because he's the one who gives you the ability and the desire and the endurance to love them the way they need to be loved. If you do that, your family will be so blessed because then they'll have a minister of God serving in this family for their good and for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask now that as we wrestle through the difficulties of living within our families, Father, we know that it's filled with much angst and much violation of boundaries. But Father, you remind us today to have hope. You show us that we can have hope, that we can love our family members well, not because we love them more than you, but because you are our greatest love. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in relationships right now that feel so controlling, so non-responsive, and so overwhelmed with irresponsibility. God, would you help my brothers and sisters to take a stand for you and also to take a stand for their loved ones so that as they seek to put you first, everything else will fall into place. Help the members of this body to be ardent defenders of the boundaries that you've established between themselves and their family members so that we can all be adequate ministers of God in our households. We ask that you would give us wisdom to do that well. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.